Hello. Okay, so we are live. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Ashley. This is Dyslexia Coffee Talk. And with us today is Carrie on Coaching. I'm not even going to try to say her last name. I apologize. <laughs> Carrie Yanishanis. It's a very Lithuanian last name. There you go. See, I just would have not done that as well at all, despite, you know, four years of studying Russian. I just. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Try learning that last name as a dyslexic. There's so many vowels in it. It was torture. I can, I can. Yeah. No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Thank you for joining us today. I I love that we're going to have this conversation because, you know, we've been talking a lot about anxiety and stress and depression and everything that's been going on late or everything that our community goes through, but not just our children, but us as families and as parents. And, um, I think you saw the live I did on new year's day where I was like, you know, surprise, I've got anxiety and, you know, I'm coming to terms with that, but let's talk about the emotional toll that this takes on families. So, um, you and I were just talking about some, some of that, I almost don't even know where to begin, but you've done some great things to help raise awareness for dyslexia and give our kids strength and courage. And do you want to talk about the swimming? Sure. I can start there. Um, (laughs) just some background on me. I am dyslexic and then, um, have an awesome son who is now 15, but he was diagnosed with dyslexia when he was four. And um, once he was diagnosed, yeah, he was diagnosed very early. When he was diagnosed, um, I started my advocacy and I used my marathon swimming as a platform um, to raise awareness for the strengths and struggles of dyslexics. And I'm a therapist professionally. And so as I was using my channel swimming, um, I started to get more recognition and people started to recognize, oh, but you're also a therapist. And there started to be these themes where parents would come to me with a lot of these challenges that they had with their kids. And it wasn't just, hey, how do I maneuver an IEP, Um, 504 versus IEP? How do I, give me a script, how do I talk to a teacher? Um, In the beginning it was that, but then once they realized I was a therapist, the conversation quickly shifted and it was, not just that my child has anxiety or lack of self-worth or, you know, self-esteem. It's that our whole entire family is impacted by this one diagnosis. How can that be? Um, So I started off with the marathon swimming and using my strengths and it, it ended up that advocacy work ended up shifting into working as a coach with these families that have dyslexia to help with what I call mental wellness. So mm-hmm. to hopefully prevent those families from crashing and burning. Right. Um, but I think that that's so, I think that that's a hard thing for people to either come to terms with necessarily, or be willing to talk about is because it see it feels selfish as the parent because I'm not dyslexic and it feels selfish for me as the parent to say that this is taking an emotional toll on me mm-hmm. because it's my son that's living it on a day-to-day basis mm-hmm. but I'm living it with him because I'm trying to navigate the school system for him mm-hmm. where it just you know whereas he's living it day to day 
you know, in and out 24, seven, 365, I'm the one that's trying to negotiate the needs for him. And, you know, unfortunately in some situations creating the retaliation that happens against us, because, you know, I'm trying to say, here's idea, here's the law, here's what I want yep. you to do. Here's his needs. Here's his diagnosis. Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you following his accommodations? Why aren't, you know, why and why is everything so slow? <laughs> right. That's one of the other things, too. My gosh, why are we moving at such a snail's pace when we know that this is a crisis situation our kids are in? Right. Um, but I but I love that. I don't love it that you're in pain. But, um, you know, but that but that point, I one of the phrases I use is that if somebody at our dinner table has dyslexia, we are all impacted because l- let's just take an example the child, you know, has been working their tail off at school and they're exhausted. They sit down at the dinner table and their sibling just pokes them one too many times. Boom, big emotions come out, right? And then as a parent, right? I don't know if this is your situation, but like you've been on the phone all day with the school, also managing your job. And now all of a sudden you have two kids that are fighting at the table and that's the last thing you need because here you're trying your best to advocate for him and you are now in another stressful situation can't we just have a calm dinner? <laughs> you know, this is, these are the types of things I hear from families a lot. Definitely. And, you know, and so I, for us, I only have, I only have the one, um, which I think that that was sort of, you know, a divine plan. <laughs> <laughs> so loud. <laughs> I don't know that I could do this for two. <laughs> I don't know that I have the emotional wherewithal to do this for more than one, but but I like how you put that because it is, you know, and everybody's bringing their own emotional package from the day, regardless of what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm thinking pre-COVID life where everybody's going off to their offices or schools or, you know, wherever it is that they're going, whatever interactions they have during the day. And then um, one of the things I like to talk about is, is the noise of communication, how, um, you know, it's in my head one way. And I think I'm going to say how it is in my head, but, you know, I've got my emotional filters for what I'm, I'm going to say. And then there's this space between you and I, and then you're going to hear it. And it's your emotional filters and what you hear and how you process that in your head and your heart. And I could say the cat's on the roof and you might hear me say the cat got hit by a car. That's, I mean, that's a wild mm-hmm. example that would never happen, but that's just meant to draw the parallel between what we think we hear and what, or what we think we say versus what the person actually hears. Mm-hmm. And then when you take into consideration the emotional story that's going on inside that person that day or lifelong or whatever it may be, how that just is going to create the outcome that you may not necessarily want from the situation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that, that brings up the concept of cognitive distortions. So yes. for kids, so cognitive distortions are... Um, the way I describe it for kids are thinking errors, right? So we have, we go through life and we end up developing, you know, some defense mechanisms and eventually we have these thinking errors. So one could be dismissing the positive, right? That filter you have, right? The world's coming in and you have this coffee filter here and things are coming in and you're filtering out the positive and you're just left with 
like the negativity. So for parents, I would call that, um, I have my list over here, I would call that, you know, discounting the positives. But for kids, I would say, ooh, I don't know, is that a thinking error? Are you throwing away the good, right? Mm -hmm. So for kids, I put it in terms of thinking errors because I, I think knowledge is power. And if they understand, oh, everybody has thinking errors, I don't necessarily have to believe that feeling I have. I might be able to look and see, oh, am I using a, a certain type of filter right now? Um, so it's one of the things we talk about um, as families and then also, you know, with the child with dyslexia, it's important to understand what are their distortions um, because it impacts their stress level. If they have that distortion of maybe, let's say, mislabeling, they feel like they get mislabeled a lot um, by their friends or their peers. Um, they might start misinterpreting the way someone looked at them and they might think, oh, he's giving me, you know, the side eye. That's because nobody likes me. It's important for them to understand that they might have some of these cognitive distortions or thinking errors because that directly impacts that level of stress they feel. Yeah. And I like that a lot. Um, you know, my, my son talks about his challenges in communication, like he's, he's an extremely loquacious, huge vocabulary, 13 year old. But at the same time, when you're talking to him, that's not necessarily what he hears, mm -hmm. you know, and, but where he talks about that happening more than anything else is in the school environment. Mm -hmm. You know, he thinks he hears the teacher say one thing and he does what he thinks he heard the teacher say, and then it turns out that he was completely wrong. And then he almost doesn't know how to cope with that, mm -hmm. you know? And so he's been trying to go back to the teacher and go, that's, that's, that's not what I heard. This is what I heard you say. And sometimes they're understanding and sometimes unfortunately they're not. And yeah. Well, know. I have a hysterical story. Do you want to hear I do. a very <laughs> funny story? Um, <laughs> I can't always share it in, in every company, but I feel like you're, you're pretty genuine. You'll, you'll, you'll appreciate it. So I was growing up in Egypt and my dad was a medical researcher and he had traveled to, I think it was like Djibouti, right? It, like some, some country, not a lot of people go to. And he ended up getting this intestinal parasite called Giardia. Oh, wow. All right. So he comes back to Egypt and he's really sick for several weeks. And Three weeks later, we have this embassy function that we have to go to. And my parents were always uh, the type of parents, you know, hey, kids, you know, you're representing America. It's really important you have proper etiquette. And so they would always give us these lectures before we would go to any embassy event. So we're at this embassy event and I knew my friends were there. They're kind of like in the back. But as we come in, there's all these different circles of doctors, some people from the World Health Organization. I mean, like big people. And um so some of them I knew and they would say, oh, hi, Carrie, how are you? How's your dad feeling? We heard he was sick. Well, that same week my dad was sick, I was in junior high and we were having health. And I had this Peace Corps worker who was very overly zealous um, about family planning. That was her, um, her, her specialty. And so we had a week long discussion about STDs. Well, there's an STD that begins with a G and ends with an A, gonorrhea. Oh. So I'm at this embassy function and people like I'm over here and my parents are somewhere else and I just want to get to my friends. And this one group, they said, oh, how's your dad? I was like, oh, he's okay. It's just a little case of gonorrhea. He's good. He's good. 
And I could see this shift on their faces. So, so I, you know, your son may not be going around saying the word gonorrhea, but <laughs> I could see this shift on everybody's face in the circle, but I don't know what I did wrong. Right. I know I did something wrong. And now I know there's something wrong with me because everybody's giving me these quizzical looks. So I'm like, okay, done with that group. So now I'm trying to go again. And it happened again in another circle. And again, people are giving me this look. So finally, at one point, my dad is in the same circle as I am. And they're like, Bill, how are you feeling? Are you feeling better? And he goes, and I said, dad, would you just tell them it's just a little case of gonorrhea? And with that, my dad's face also did what everybody else's did. But because he's my dad, I knew how to read his face. And I just knew my foot was in my mouth. So I think, I think a lot of dyslexics, we walk around with our foot in the mouth and we don't necessarily, like we know we've done something wrong, but we don't know why and we don't know how to explain it. And so that just reminded me of that story. You know, your son, like thinking he hears something, he's doing what he's, he thinks is right, but he's making a mistake in the process and he doesn't know why. Right, 100%. Um, so- what, I mean, talking more about anxiety, you know, and you've got the anxiety stress connection that the International Dyslexia Association has the paper on and our kids are, our kids are so misunderstood from the anxiety and the depression yes. side, you know, and a lot of how they behave is pushed off as behavior. And it's not behavior, you know, behavior is communication. And I think most people forget that they think behavior is behavior for behavior's sake. Mm-hmm. But unless you're a sociopath, you don't engage in behavior as a form of behavior for the sake of behavior for everybody. Behavior is communication. Mm-hmm. And I feel like our educational institution has forgotten that, that, or their misunderstanding of dyslexia is truthfully, so severely off base that they just don't get what our kids are trying to communicate to the people around them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 please. Um, to the point of dyslexia is so misunderstood. Um, I was on a podcast recently and I'm hoping that it will just be buried forever because the host said um, he, he was talking about dyslexia. And then he said, you know, I hear that there's a higher rate of dyslexics in the juvenile detention centers. And I was about to say, well, I mean, they develop, you know, if, if you, if you go, what I was about to say to him is if you go through your life every single day, having this pain point being hit every single day, you think you're stupid. Right. And it goes on for years. Well, if you don't have a healthy way to cope with that, you're going to start using drugs. You're going to start having these unhealthy coping strategies. But before I could even say that to him, he made this gigantic leap. And he said, so, I mean, are scientists trying to find, um, you know, the gene, is there a dyslexic gene that leaves, leaves dyslexics more, um, more apt to criminality? And <laughs> I couldn't believe he made that leap. I, I was literally shocked. And I, where, where do you start if that's someone's understanding of dyslexia? You know, isn't that insane? That's a, that's a new one on me. And I'm sure right now my messenger is blowing up. <laughs> 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 my friends, they just heard you say that. Yeah. 
And they're going to be like messaging me to message you to say, who is this person? <laughs> <laughs> How can we troll him? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. So, wow. So, so I think, you know, we are in this world of dyslexia. And so we hear this discrimination daily and we hear these myths, but we're also hearing it within our own little world. Yeah. When we step out of our bubble, I think that discrimination and misunderstanding is even more magnified. Yeah. Um, so is it any wonder that our children feel anxiety when they have that pain button hit every mm-hmm. single day? And I, you know, anxiety, I... Okay, so I'm 48 years old and it's only been in the last like few months that I'm sort of like coming to grips with my own anxiety. And the things that I have anxiety on, I've carried them quite literally my entire life. You know, I don't I, I don't come to anxiety as like a new thing. You know, it's something mm-hmm. that <laughs> it's it's me going, so that's why I behaved that way when I was seven <laughs> whatever. Um and but I feel like anxiety is so misunderstood and, you know, even, I don't even talk about it very openly within my own family because I feel like people are going to look back at me and go, but that's just life. That's just normal. I don't, you know, and having to make other family members come to terms with their own anxiety is a conversation I don't want to take place. But, you know, when I went to my son and I sat down in front of him and I said, uh, I want to have a conversation with you. And, you know, he's, he can't sit still for any conversation. He's walking around the room the whole time. And I go, I think that I have anxiety and I think that you do too. Mm-hmm. He completely froze and turned around and looked at me and w- went now, really right now. And I went, what do you mean? He goes, you just took the biggest boulder like Wiley e. Coyote and you just decided to dump it on top of my head. <sighs> and I went, is that a, bad thing then and all of a sudden we spent the next two hours talking about his anxiety Mm. and the things that make him afraid and all of us you know years I've been wanting the kid to open up to me and all of a sudden he just poured forth and I was like oh it's beautiful um (laughs) I wasn't expecting this (laughs) but it's he understood his anxiety at a level that I didn't even have an appreciation mm. for. And mm. what's funny is now when I do or say something, he looks at me, he's like, that's your anxiety talking or he'll do and say something back to me. And I'm like, right back at you, kid. <laughs> <laughs> but how do we raise awareness about what anxiety is and how anxiety drives people? Gosh, that's a good question. <laughs> I can, I can tell you how I work with families and raise their awareness. Um, So coming into this today, I had two goals, two big goals. I wanted your audience to walk away with two tangible things they can walk away with and apply today, right? So it's not just like another dyslexic coming and talking about, oh, all the gifts of dyslexia because they do come at a cost, right? There's a lot of costs that come with it. Um, And we try not to sugarcoat that and, you know, go to the world and go, dyslexia is a gift because, you know, one of our co-founders is dyslexic and she's like, no, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and, and you know what, there might be gifts that come later on, but for sure, you know, in our families, as we're hoping our kids can not have a panic attack in class during the exam, it sure does not feel like a gift right then. (laughs) Um, 
So yeah, no, that's why I appreciate you guys are always, I think, just spot on with the honesty about it. Um, you. There's a lot of toxic positivity out there, which I think makes it difficult to talk about anxiety in our circles of dyslexia. Yes, 100%. Mm-hmm. So, so this is, this is how I approach um, families and talking to them about anxiety. Um, so you know how your son said, you just dumped that huge boulder on me. Mm-hmm. It felt like this massive weight that came upon him. Um, a lot of times we feel that way with anxiety. We just feel like we're in a constant state of anxiety. We have that pain point hit so many times where we're just vibrating almost. So one of the things I try to have my families do is look at our stress bucket and what goes into the stress bucket that makes us stress during the day. But with kids and also adults too, I think it's important to sometimes say, what are the five stress buckets? Let's actually divide the stress up. Instead of just saying we have anxiety and it's omnipresent, what if we give it themes? What if maybe one of those buckets, the theme is friendships? One of the themes is uh, work. One of the themes is being misunderstood, right? That's a big one for dyslexics, just that constant feeling of being misunderstood. Um, Another bucket could be, you know, comparison with siblings, like just that bucket of comparison. Mm -hmm. And then the last bucket, I mean, whatever it could be, you know, I didn't do so well in my soccer game that I wanted to excel in. Um, so starting to build themes around anxiety is really good to do because it starts to contain it and it starts to, you know, kids just feel like anxiety, they're out of control. So if we put it into buckets, you know, let's say they're like, Oh, it was awful. It was such a bad day. Okay. Well, Hey, and I actually have like a worksheet I do with people, which bucket is it Mm -hmm. that today your stress fell into? So now we're starting to look at anxiety and we're able to contain it a little bit more um, instead of it exploding everywhere. So the goal of anxiety is to kind of contain it and then be able to also do calming and grounding techniques to, to bring it down even more, you know, so contain it, understand what it, what actually the the activating event was, Mm -hmm. and then a grounding technique for calming. I love that. I love that because you're right. Anxiety is not all encompassing. There's usually a thing that the anxiety is centered around. Mm -hmm. It can become all encompassing. It can. Absolutely. It can, because we don't like we start, our body doesn't know the difference, right? Between um, let's say I almost got in a car crash and I'm advocating against the school district and it's so frustrating. And, um, you know, the cat just knocked over the dinner and it fell on the floor. Um, eventually that anxiety, like it, the body doesn't, I guess what I'm trying to say is the body doesn't know the brain body connection, but doesn't always know the difference um, between something that's maybe a five versus a 10. And we end up operating at a 10 a lot of the time. So by containing it into these different buckets, we're also kind of rating the anxiety. So, so we're recognizing not everything has to be crisis mode. I like that. I like that a lot, especially as a kid is moving into the teenage years and the emotions are kicking in the overdrive because the hormones are kicking in overdrive. <laughs> the social situations are kicking into overdrive and the games and like all of that jazz. Mm-hmm. it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, I talk about kind of the trajectory that I see, and I'm interested to know um, 
you know, if, I can't see any of the comments, but if people, you know, if they're watching this later, if they could write in, you know, what was the progression they saw with their child with dyslexia? Because one of the common themes I see is we have parents, we have a child who's in elementary school who's diagnosed dyslexic. Parents, oftentimes, if they're not dyslexic, have no idea. So they're playing, they're trying to play catch up. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, them catching up, yep, also means, oh, wait, now I also have to be an advocate. I have to figure, what is an IEP? What is this? What is that? What is the pseudoscience, right? A lot of these parents in those early years are getting ripped off with like vision therapy to fix dyslexia. You know, they spend tens of thousands of dollars on that. Um, so the beginning years of dyslexia in elementary school is a lot of catch up and the parents can be disconnected from that child's emotional experience, right? Because the parent is getting angry, not at the child, just angry at dyslexia. And that anger and anxiety are just kind of like becoming their own force with these parents. And so they're missing a lot of those pain points that the kids are getting in early elementary. Then the kids go up to upper L, right? Where it's no longer learning to read, it's reading to learn. And so now all of a sudden they're highly aware of, okay, I'm not, I'm not getting that information everybody else is getting. And so they start that, that level of self-consciousness. I think our dyslexic kids do earlier than a lot of their peers. A lot of their peers, maybe that, that self-consciousness, you know, it kicks in more like in middle school for our kids, it kicks in earlier and they're, our kids are really smart. They know that they're missing out. Mm -hmm. So then you, you send them off to middle school and, you know, middle school is mean girls. And, and I learned lots of mean boys too are in middle school. Um, and, you know, now you start to have those hormones kicking in. So you have these kids with low self-esteem going into a new school, feeling like they don't fit. And then a new school on top of that, um, trying to find their peer group. Um, those pain points become much more intense. And if we miss that as parents in elementary school, it's really important that we start to catch it in middle school. We, we, basically parents say to me, oh my God, well, my kid's in high school. I've totally failed him then. And I'm like, well, no, we can still work on those pain points, but the earlier the parents can catch it, the better. Um, and, then, and then the kids go into high school and guess what happens in high school? All those same pain points, if they're not addressed and they're not validated, well, now they're in high school and they have access to a car and you can bet trouble can happen <laughs> really fast. Yeah, really, really fast. That was one of the interesting things for me though, is, you know, like I, like I said, my, my son's always kind of been a closed book, you know, he's always really played his emotions close to his, his chest. And, um, once I brought out the anxiety thing, you know, over the following weeks, different subjects would come up Mm -hmm. and he never, I, I have always made a big effort, regardless of how I felt about a particular person on his team. I never discussed that with him. I discussed my advocacy. I discussed the things that I was working for, you know, what his accommodations were. If, if things weren't going well and trying to get him what he needed, he knew all that, but he never, you know, I never said Mrs. So-and-so or Mr. So-and-so, you know, I really hate them because of, you know, whatever. I never did that. Mm-hmm. I never wanted him to go to school and look at his teacher or his principal or somebody who I may be, you know, really hard butting heads with and look at, you know, and have that change his relationship Perception. with that person. Mm -hmm. Right. 
because we do influence how our children behave with other adults if we share <laughs> our own um what's the word I'm looking for our own conflict with people and mm-hmm. um I never wanted to do that so you know he's in junior high now I have this anxiety conversation with him and he's he lists out all of the teachers who he knew hated him and Is there I was a similarity like, did they match up he was spot on and I don't want to, and I don't say that in a teacher bashing way, because we all know that we're all individual human beings and we, you know, we're not going to get along with everybody, regardless of how good of a person you may be. We're just not going to get along with every single human being walking around on the face of the planet. And sometimes that's directed at children too. Yeah. And whether their dislike of him was retaliation against me, or, you know, maybe they just don't understand dyslexia and they think that he's just being a difficult child whatever it was, I was trying to not influence that dynamic again between him and the teacher. But it was just, he was, our list, our list was perfectly tied. And I was sitting here going, I'm sorry that that caused you so much pain. I wish you had felt comfortable enough to have that conversation with me at the time. And he looked at me, he goes, I didn't know how to tell you because I didn't want you to hate my teacher, mom. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm sitting here going, but I'm yelling at her in these IEP meetings over here. <laughs> <Right. going> <laughs> <laughs> Again, not teacher bashing. This was a very specific, <laughs> very specific reason. Specific thing that happened. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I've, and I now I've kind of forgotten where I'm going because now I'm getting emotionally flustered because I remember this. <laughs> Can I jump in? Please, please in? save okay. me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, Ashley, I think um, I think sometimes we do our children a disservice mm-hmm. by keeping all of those emotions to ourselves. Because oftentimes our kids are having those same feelings, but they're looking to us as role models and they're saying, well, gosh, I never hear my mom say a bad word about my teacher or a disagreement about you know, whoever the carpool person is that I feel like talks rudely to me. And so they end up feeling isolated in their own, I guess, pain or anxiety. They start to feel isolated. And when your son said, well, I didn't know how to say that. That's one of the things I work on with parents is I want, I like to raise parents to become guides for their kids. Because if we sit back and wait for our dyslexic kids to find the right words, to talk about their anxiety, their stress, their depression, their fears, right? Their, um, their, their lack of self-worth. If we wait for them to find the right words, well, good Lord. I mean, we may never even know their full experiences. So sure. I think as parents, it's okay for us to wear our emotions sometimes and let our kids see that, that I can be a good person yet still have a lot of dislike for that one person. Yeah. No, and I, I love that too. Um, you know, and I'll, I'll share another story where I had, I had intentionally taken a teacher away from him mm-hmm. for very specific reasons. Mm-hmm. And he lost his mind mm-hmm. because he, he cared for her. He, he genuinely liked her. And I ended up crying in front of him because I had, you know, I had gone in there and I had thrown down the gauntlet and I had, you know, 
achieved X, Y, and Z. And in the process of that, you know, she went, I can't teach your son. And I went, no, you can't. We're done. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then that night, my son just absolutely melts down and says, why would you take her away from me? Oh, wow. And I, yeah. And then I had to go back into another IEP meeting and go, so I need you to stay on the team because that's what my son wants, but here's what we're going to do if that's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Things have to look different if, if yeah. that's going to happen. <laughs> so that was, that was a big, that, that was hard. And that was hard for me as a parent, because I, I felt like I had achieved so much ground for what mm-hmm. I knew that he needed, mm-hmm. but then I was having to rebalance everything going maybe I need to give on what he needs in order to address his emotional needs, because that's more important than this over here. He needs to be happy and stable and cared for, and he needs to feel safe. And right now he doesn't feel safe because I've made this change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's hard for parents sometimes to grasp with as well. I had a similar experience with one of my son's teachers and I won't help them. But uh, definitely, I felt like an injustice had occurred um, and that he should be removed from that classroom. But my son adored that teacher. So basically, you know, it had to do with like paperwork for accommodations and things like that. So it wasn't, you know, something that my son was really involved with. So he didn't understand like the egregious nature of what had been written down. Um, that, That wasn't, you know, he wasn't seeing that end of it. He just saw that he has a teacher he really likes and the teacher is nice to him in class and, you know, whatever. But I went into the school and it was the same thing. Like he needs to get out of that class. I'm done. I can't believe this. And the school said, well, Luca really likes him. (laughs) And I was like, oh, this is rough. This is rough. And I mean, I just had to bite the bullet and, and recognize that, he was getting something from that classroom. Yeah. And I think that that's hard because we feel so vindicated when we, there's so few battles that we win in advocacy. You know, when we do win one, we feel so vindicated. And so hallelujah kind of, and then to have to crawl some of that back and hat in hand go, so... (laughs) <laughs> so anyways you remember what I was saying um <laughs> yeah I need to take that back <laughs> well I that think was... sometimes I think it's okay if, this is a phrase I use a lot with my families um and I teach my kids to say this too we are not bound by our first statement okay so we might be like blah, blah, blah. it's never too late to say hey I got to circle that back. I'm sorry. Let me circle back. That came out wrong. And it could even be two years later. Hey, by the way, I need to circle back to something. I said this and I was off. I I thought I was spot on. I was off. Um, Mm -hmm. So, so that idea that we're not bound to our first word or our first statement is important because it gives us that grace. And then it also gives our kids that grace because as you know, as they wear these big emotions as dyslexic kids, they need to know that they're safe at home to let it out. And guess what? They're still not bound to that first word because they're in a safe environment and they can always walk it back or circle around and we can talk about it more. Yeah. 
And I think that I love how you said that because it's so important. And, you know, before we went live, you and I were talking about grace. I'm, I'm a huge believer in grace because even the best a person is, they're, they're going to say something wrong. They're going to do something mm-hmm. wrong. And I've talked about, you know, like hypothetically, I say something that really insults you. And, you know, I kind of come to my senses and I'm like, Carrie, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have done that. You can forgive me, but that doesn't mean you have to let me in your life because I call that grace with boundaries. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I, I've, what I've always tried to teach my son is because he wasn't communicating. I've always tried to teach him, you know, especially as they're coming up and they're little kids, you know, and especially like when they're toddlers, they, they hit you. And, you know, the little things that kids do is they're kind of learning about emotions and, you know, they're just, they're pure, they're creatures of pure emotion. That's what they are. And then you throw them into life and they're trying to navigate (laughs) that while still remaining creatures of pure emotion. And um, what I always, from the earliest points, what I've always told to him is I'm like, you are allowed to be angry at me, but you can't abuse me. Mm. We're gonna, you, you can be mad at me. You can say, mom, I'm mad at you because of whatever. Great, I, wanna, I want you to tell me that you're mad at me we're going to talk about it. You don't get to be mean to me because you're mad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you're mean to me, we're going to talk about why you're mean to me first. (laughs) Because then we have two problems. Right. (laughs) And I found that at least between he and I, I found that to be this great communication tool because I'll never forget. He got, he, um, his dad got really mad at him once. And my husband was unjustly angry which was its own thing, <laughs> but it really upset my son. And my son looked at him, looked at me because I went up to comfort him because my husband was in the wrong. <laughs> I went up to comfort him and he goes, he's as nice as a flower to you. And he's as mean as a bear to me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, I'm going to go deal. <laughs> and, you know, and I, I, talk, you know, I talked a long time to my husband and I was like, here's, here's why you were wrong. And here's what you're going to do about it. And, you know, these are your choices, black and white. There's, there's no gray area here. Yep. Yep. You know, and he went and he did the right thing, but a lot of it came from his lack of understanding about dyslexia. And, you know, he, he's, you know, rattling off a list of 19 things that I want you to go do. And, you know, our son gets to like number two and then he's off playing on his iPad and, you know, he's in trouble because he didn't do three through 19. Mm -hmm. Why don't they just listen? I usually say it. I don't, I hate to generalize, but a lot of times it's the husband's not reading the books. So it's the wife that's read the books and the wife that has the knowledge. And, you know, as I was talking, um, I don't know if it was once we had started going live, but we were talking before, you know, that having a child with a disability with, with, you know, dyslexia, learning difference, it can cause a lot of friction in the couple. And you have one person who's read the books, one person who hasn't read the books, this person becomes the expert. And then this person resents that, right? That why do you get to be the expert on this? I'm the dad too, or I'm the partner too in this. And there becomes an imbalance. 100%. So I dealt with that, unfortunately, because um, 
Houston branch, the IDA had the, no, not them. It was Nyhouse hosted the Shaywitzes. And so I looked at him and I went, come hell or high water, you're taking the day off. <laughs> I love and it. he sat in front of me, you know, cause you're at these eight tops and he sat in front of me and the number of times he turned around and looked at me and went, and then he listened to, you know, and he come back and he's like, oh my God. <laughs> and I was sitting there going, score. <laughs> By the end of the day, he could have like, you know, slid out, you know, he, his, I, I bet he was like shrinking in his chair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that's funny. And I mean, and I didn't do that to be mean. I did it because I really, I, I wanted him to understand. Well, and, and I he, was and like, probably- what a- yeah. And he needed to hear it from somebody who wasn't his spouse. And that's oftentimes with my families, they need to hear it from somebody else. Who's a third party because, you know, even in our, our, our relationships and in our marriages, we still have those filters and we don't have a lot of those filters sometimes when it's that professional expert in the room, giving us the information. Yes. hundred percent. So I want to go back to something that you touched on a few minutes ago. Um, people wasting money on therapies that they're just snake oil. There's so many of them out there. There's so many of, so many of them out there. Um, and it, it's so disheartening, first of all, um, you know, especially since I'm a professional in this field to know that by the time people have come to me that they've had you know, like um, even Kuman, like people will put their kids in Kuman and do the drill and kill thinking that will help with dyslexia. They're told, yep, have your kid here. We're going to move them through this many grade levels. And so these poor kids are doing the drill and kill through Kuman and it's not working. Um, Kuman works great for other people, but it's not, that is not the right intervention for a dyslexic. Um, then there's, there's these brain centers that are opening up a lot lately. Have you seen these? I have, yes. There's, there's one like very close to me and they're like advertising like crazy and they're targeting our community. And I'm sitting here going, and some of the people that have liked them, I'm like, you should know better. And (laughs) trying to keep my mouth shut. And at the same time, I'm dying over here. Yeah. So there's a lot of these brain centers that are opening up, um, making wild claims that they can move your kid, that they can improve your child. Well, first of all, they can improve your child's spelling. And it's by, you know, they bounce on a ball while they're singing a song and they're, I don't like, to me, it just sounds like a lot of overstimulation of the brain. Um, But the one by me is even advertising diet. Oh, really interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, if you just cut out gluten, right. And Mm -hmm. red dye, your child will no longer have dyslexia. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. That it's part of their brain balance therapy. Yeah. You know, I was um, trained up in neurofeedback, which is um, a very well-known treatment for people who have seizures and it works with, um, it it does work with certain conditions. It does not work for dyslexia and it is a very expensive, very expensive um, treatment. And people will put a lot of money into that. And does it help maybe with the child's anxiety? Sure, but it's not helping with the dyslexia, but they see it help in one area. So they make this sweeping statement saying, well, I'm seeing such a difference in my child. It must help with dyslexia. Um, then, then, you know, the vision therapy, I, I just can't even, <laughs> it's, so, uh, I don't even know where to start with that. You know, we, you our remember, kids can, go ahead. Do you, do you remember, um, 
when those glasses showed up on that live with Kelly and whoever her co-host is, that was like three years ago, I think there was a segment with these prism lenses out of France and it was on live with Kelly. Uh-huh. Um, there was a concerted effort to get that taken down and it got taken down. Interesting. It did. I talked to the journalist who presented it and I over email, I didn't talk to him in person, but I was like, as a journalist, you have a responsibility to do your due diligence before presenting Mm -hmm. snake oil to millions of people at 10 o'clock in the morning on one of the biggest watched TV shows that exist. And, And a vulnerable population. Exactly. And his response was less than less than pleasurable because he said I was simply doing my job Mm. and I was like well you failed at your job then (laughs) (laughs) but I reached out to the company in France and I said show me your research I mean you're saying that this is all scientifically based for your research and they said uh thank you so much for your letter um we look forward to you being a customer Well, a lot of them too, a lot of these different snake oil companies, right? They will have a lot of papers published, but not peer reviewed. So they have them published within a magazine with all the other people that also believe and are selling this as well. So it's, it, you know, it, it, it presents like, oh, well, it's in this, you know, people are thinking this must be a scholarly magazine and it's not, it's just a bunch of these people have gotten together and dumped articles in there to look good on the internet. Um, but they're not peer reviewed and they're not scientifically proven either. So yeah, yeah the, the amount, or, or even just, you know, par- parents had spent a lot of money just on reading tutoring and they don't know the reading tutor has not told them, look, I don't have a specialty in dyslexia. I actually have no clue what I'm doing. Um, Cause as we all know, right. The cult <clears throat> teachers are, or cult therapists are very differently trained. They are definitely. And um, like you're probably the same way, but I'm, I'm on Facebook. I've joined a bunch of like the neighborhood mom area mm-hmm. kind of thick groups. And every now and then there's a question about dyslexia and the number of, you know, and I have a hard time engaging with those. I'm, I'll put a link to my website. I'm like, if you ever want to talk, you know, here. But what I find most of the time is those types of comments are more, um, I don't want to say that they're not ready for the information because they are ready for the information. But where what I sort of figured out is the parent at the beginning of this journey has to move enough beyond their immediate emotional reaction Mm -hmm. to be able to take in information. Mm -hmm. But if they don't, if they can't move beyond that immediate emotional reaction, because we're a fix it society, right? We're a fix it society and we want it now. And, you know, like your car's broken, you're either going to fix it or you're going to go get a new one. Mm -hmm. And the lack of understanding about dyslexia and, you know, your, ch- your child's suffering. You don't want your child to suffer. I mean, you know, there's no bigger pain as a parent than to have your child suffer under something. And so you, you leap into these things because it's slick ads. It looks good. Everybody looks professional, you know, quick fix, quick fix. 
yes, we can help you hundred percent right now, you know, and, um, I, what was weird for me was I was in kind of a different place because I work full time. My husband works full time, you know, I didn't know about social media. I was Googling things. I wasn't using dyslexia. I was using my child can't read and various things like Mm -hmm. that. Um, and I don't, because, because of the year, because it was 2016, there wasn't quite so much snake oil out there, but where I became more frustrated was everything was like 10 to noon on Tuesdays and Thursdays. (laughs) Um, but it was nothing, nothing felt right. Nothing sounded right. Nothing, you know, I spent weeks trying to find where do, how, and where do we even begin? Because it was like, nothing, nothing was ringing as true. Nothing was ringing as, as helpful. And maybe that's my analytical mind more than anything else, but it was just, but anyway, that's what I find with parents. You know, we, we, we want to help our children and we want it immediately, you know, we like, we want to wrap them up in a blanket when they fall down and skin their knee and, you know, blow kisses on it and stick a bandaid on it and dry their tears and give them chocolate ice cream and go, everything's going to be okay. (laughs) Right. We do. And we can't, we, one, one of the biggest things is we can't protect our children from their emotions. If we are always rescuing our kids from their emotions, they never learn how to navigate through them. And it is hard, right? I mean, I remember those days bringing my son to his tutor after he's already done his full day of school and he's crying in the car because the last thing he wants to do is reading therapy. And, you know, I would sit on the couch and listen to it. Believe me, it did not sound fun. <laughs> I, I don't blame him. But, um, you know, if we, if we keep trying to rescue our kids from their emotions instead of teaching them grounding and coping skills to maneuver their emotions, then they're just going to go into junior high and high school and into life with big emotions that they don't know how to deal with. Completely agree. Except we want to save them. We do. I know. I know. I know. Especially when they hit the wall when they're so little. Yeah. You know, one of the phrases I use with my son and now that he's 15, he actually, like he said it the other day, he was having a hard day. And I said, well, you remember Luke that he goes, I know feelings are just temporary, <laughs> but that's one of the phrases I always have said to him. And sure enough, an hour later, he said, yeah, they really are just temporary. Um, I love that. So it's a really good phrase. Like that kids can wrap their heads around that. And so they can be crying right now. And our job mm-hmm. is just to maybe put our hand around them and, mm-hmm. and say that was really hard. Yeah. And then when we see them later on skipping and jumping around saying, Hey, you remember how you felt badly earlier? I want to circle back to that. Remember, feelings are always temporary. I like that because my challenge is, you know, my son's anxiety sort of overwhelms him on one thing. And then it doesn't matter that 90% of his day was great and 10% of it was bad. In his mind, the whole day was bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I haven't, I'm, I'm, I'm stealing that phrase. <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good phrase. That's a good one. Um, but that's also where the buckets come in, right? Yeah. Hey, well, how many buckets, how many buckets were filled with good things today? You know, so it's not toxic positivity. We're not going to reject that you had a hard day in this bucket, right? Right. This bucket is filled with a lot of tears from, from a hard day. What, tell me some good things that happened in the other buckets. Um, 
there's a, there's a book it's called, I want to say the whole brain child. Have you read that book? I've not read that one. No, it's fantastic. It talks about our children, their brains are not fully developed and connected, right? So they live either in the emotional side of their brain or they live in the analytical side of their brain. And when our kids have these meltdowns, usually it's when they're younger, but it can still even happen in junior high and high school. They have these meltdowns. Um, what do parents try to do? We try to fix it. We try mm-hmm. to rescue them from that emotion. We'll say things like, okay, oh, oh, do you, do you really think she meant it that way? Did she really say it like that? Or, you know, and we end up diminishing that emotion that they have and that experience and their narrative, really what we're supposed to do. They're highly in this emotional side of the brain. Our job is just to be still and be with them. It might be an arm around them. It might be like, gosh, that sounds so hard. But what we do is try to rescue. And I think the reason why parents we try to rescue is because it triggers our own anxiety. And our anxiety starts getting, it's percolating. I'm seeing my son suffer and now I'm percolating with anxiety. I don't feel good. I need to fix him so I can be okay. And that's where a boundary comes in, right? And it's so hard. Like, I mean, I'm speaking to everybody. I'm also speaking to myself as I'm saying this, but that boundary of where do I stop and where does my child begin? Yeah. It's really hard, you know, especially as teenagers, when you see their heart get broken, you're like, oh my God, I, it's like a sucker punch. Yeah. I'm going to have to work on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to work really hard on that one. <laughs> Because I think you just, so true. (laughs) Right? So so we get anxious, they get anxious, we get anxious for them. We want to fix it. Mm -hmm. And by fixing it, we're going to feel better. And it's really, that's just, it it logically doesn't make sense in the big picture though. Because it's temporary. It's a temporary fix. It's like a Band-Aid. Yeah. Um. So we've been on for almost an hour and I want to be respectful of your time. But one of the, one of the questions I typically ask people is, and I know that there's a couple of things that you wanted to cover is outside of everything we've talked about so far, is there anything else you want to highlight Um, or anything I've missed? (laughs) No, I think you've hit on everything. The big two things I wanted to highlight for parents, I wanted them to walk away with skill set. So the skill set of the buckets, um, having their child start kind of dividing that anxiety up into, it might be three, it might be five buckets. Um, so that they're starting to learn to contain it. Um, so the whole day isn't bad. It's this one section of my day I struggled yeah. with. And then the other one was the cognitive distortions, um, teaching them that we can have, and for them, you would call it a thinking error. So if your child you can Google top 10 cognitive distortions and learn what these distortions are. And you'll learn what your distortions are, right? The thinking Mm -hmm. errors as adults we have, but teaching our kids that they can have thinking errors is really empowering for them because they can be maybe having a bad day and then say, oh, wait, this is that black and white thinking. This is all or nothing thinking. And so we're, we're teaching them these really, I think parents, we underestimate these psychological tools that they can absorb early on that can really change their trajectory of how they, how they absorb stress and also how they can release the stress. I like how you said that though, because what I've always said about my son is he's an absolutist. 
because I was an absolutist. Mm -hmm. So I found him doing the same thing that I did as as a child, which was, you know, like maybe I might get upset with him about something and he would go, I'm such a bad kid. You need to get rid of all my toys. I said the same thing to my mom and dad. (laughs) So I was like, you're not, you know, I was like, it was this one little bitty thing. That's not who you are as a Mm. person, but he would make these absolute type of leaps with things. And I had a hard time coping with that because I, I, I'm, to this day, I'm still guilty of it in some, in some ways, mm-hmm. which so, is probably, so, probably my anxiety more than anything else. But <laughs> <laughs> so imagine instead, um, you know, when he says, oh, just get rid of all of my toys. Imagine it instead, if at that time you said, gosh, that's that black or white thinking or that, oh, it looks like you're filtering out all the good stuff. And now when he, every time that something like that comes up, oh, it looks like you're filtering out the good stuff. It's now no longer oh, I'm bad here, 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 here. It's, oh, wait, there's a thinking error that's a common denominator, right? So, so all of a sudden, it, you're able to contain it into, into this little vessel, almost, mm-hmm. a, a theme, and you're under, like, kids can start to understand, and it helps them, um, it helps prevent them from thinking it's omnipresent everywhere. I don't know if I explained that quite right but no 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 you it's sinking in you did (laughs) (laughs) um I guess the the last thing is I have um if parents wanted to they could go to my website it's carryoncoaching.com k-e-r-r-y the irish way carryoncoaching.com I do have a free grounding guide that they can um, download And it has five different ways that they can work with their kids and with themselves to ground and um, cope with big emotions. So it's something you could download today and and be able to um, literally like implement today. I love that. I'm going to be downloading it. That's for sure. I'm writing things down everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Great, great. So when my head turns this way, that's what I'm doing. (laughs) And my husband's work notebook. (laughs) <laughs> and if anyone has any questions, they can find me on Facebook at Carry On Coaching. Um, I'm happy to answer any questions people have. This this has been absolutely amazing. And I don't want you to hang up once we disconnect from Facebook because I want to talk to you for a minute. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. And everyone, I hope that this has been just as powerful for you as it has been for me. And I hope everyone has a great day. We'll thank see you so soon. much. <laughs> Um, hold on.